0: Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs are the most widely used medications in the world. They're used to treat pain resulting from diseases such as arthritis, but these drugs can raise blood pressure and cause serious problems, including heart attacks, strokes, and death. We spoke to Paul Waymack, founder, chairman, and chief medical officer of Keto Pharmaceuticals, about its efforts to bring to market a combination therapy that addresses these safety concerns. Waymack discussed the issues surrounding pain medications, his company's approach, and how the company's smart FDA strategy is significantly cutting its cost and time to market. Paul, thanks for joining us.
1: It's a pleasure.
0: We're going to talk about the effort to bring safe and effective pain medicines to market, the benefits of a good FDA strategy to accelerate development and contain cost, and the efforts of your company, Keto Pharmaceuticals. But I thought we could begin with the problem of pain itself, which in many ways is a poorly met medical need that's been plagued by the side effects of these drugs. What's the state of pain care, and and why has it been so difficult?
1: Well, the state of pain care is inadequate right now. We certainly have drugs that can control pain but as you mentioned, the side effects are rather onerous. We have a drug such as Tylenol, which is good for a minor pain, for a headache, but it doesn't really provide adequate efficacy for significant pain. For significant pain, we really only have two classes of medications. We can use narcotics, which are very good, but they have numerous side effects that everyone is aware of. Uh, You can overdose on them, They lead to chronic constipation, to drowsiness. They have a number of problems. The non-steroidals have been on the market for a half century. These are also very efficacious, but they have two major problems of their own. The first problem that's been recognized almost from the time they came on the market is their propensity to cause ulcerations of the intestine, major ulcerations. The FDA estimates that they get up to 20,000 reports a year of people dying from hemorrhage from these medications. Obviously, this is a major problem. This was the impetus for developing the COX-2 drugs, the ones of which we're probably all familiar are Vioxx and Celebrex, Because these were COX-2 inhibitors, they were able to control pain while avoiding most of the gastrointestinal ulceration problems. However, as everybody is also aware, over 10 years ago, it was discovered that patients receiving Vioxx and then the other non-steroidals are at an increased risk for developing heart attacks, stroke, increased blood pressure, and death. This was a major discovery, a major finding. It led to Vioxx coming off the market. It led to very important FDA meetings, position papers, and eventually in the spring of 2005, it led to the FDA requiring that all non-steroidal drugs, be they COX-2 such as Celebrex, or the non-selective ones such as ibuprofen, Motrin, Advil, Leap, all of these non-steroidals have a black box warning saying this drug increases your risk of heart attack, stroke, death, high blood pressure, all of the life-threatening cardiovascular problems. So this is the conundrum for physicians. Patients have pain. In the United States, 27 million Americans have osteoarthritis, a disease that doesn't go away. It only gets worse. It causes pain. And yet we haven't had safe medications for treating this pain. This was the impetus for my team uh, beginning the Ketoff Corporation that is now attempting to solve this problem.
0: When we look at a drug like Celebrex, do we understand mechanically what's happening that causes it to elevate blood pressure?
1: Yes. We have a fairly good understanding of what the non-steroidals do. The non-steroidals work by blocking an enzyme called cyclooxygenase. This enzyme is present in just about every cell in the body. It alters the metabolism in every cell. And one of the things it does, it alters the hemodynamics, that is the blood flow in the kidney. It makes the kidney believe it needs to conserve salt. And when it conserves salt, it conserves water. It makes uh, the body swell up a little bit and thereby raises blood pressure. This is how it raises blood pressure, both Celebrex and all the other non-steroidals.
0: Well, you've combined a, a generic version of Celebrex with a, a generic version of a calcium channel blocker to address the safety concerns of, of Celebrex. Can you explain exactly what you've done and, and how much of a challenge it is getting the right dose in a combination therapy?
1: We combined with Celebrex, a calcium channel blocker. Uh, The calcium channel blockers affect most cells in the body by blocking a calcium inflow channel that's present on the membranes. And one of the things this does is it relaxes the blood vessels and thereby lowers blood pressure. So it counteracts the effect the non-steroidals have on the increased blood pressure. We were very fortuitous in choosing this because when we started this process five years ago, we appeared to have a number of possible selections we could have chosen. There are multiple classes of blood pressure-lowering drugs. There are diuretics that lower blood pressure by making the kidneys make more urine. There are uh, beta blockers that block part of the nervous system that relax blood vessels. There's the calcium channel blocker we chose that relax blood vessels. There are ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers that counteract the blood-constricting properties of uh, the body. We chose the calcium channel blocker, and as I said, this was fortuitous because since we started this development, the FDA, which is constantly monitoring the safety of drugs and potential combinations, has put forward a number of physician papers saying that if you have a patient on a non-steroidal, it's not a good thing to put them on a diuretic for treating high blood pressure. It's a bad combination. They have put similar papers out saying it's a bad idea to add an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin receptor blocker because, again, these drugs interact with the kidney effect of non and lead to some very significant side effects. So, we fortuitously chose to use a calcium channel blocker, amlodipine, uh, as our combination to counteract the dangerous blood pressure and cardiovascular effects of non-steroidals.
0: What has the clinical data shown so far about this?
1: Well, we just finished our Phase 3 efficacy study. We enrolled the last patient in October. They finished treatment in November, and in December, we result- released the results. And We had a four-arm study that means patients were randomized into four different groups. All these patients had high blood pressure. One group just got a double placebo, a double sugar pill. One group got a sugar pill plus the Celebrex. This group, over two weeks, their blood pressure, their systolic blood pressure, went up about a millimeter and a half. That doesn't sound like a lot, but the epidemiology studies have shown that's enough over time to significantly increase your risk of heart attack and stroke. So this verified the FDA's concern about what non-steroidal drugs can do to blood pressure, to heart attack and stroke rates. And I should mention, we didn't do this study where the patient just went in the doctor's office and had a blood pressure taken one time. At the FDA's request, we did a round-the-clock blood pressure monitoring Patients went to the doctor's office. They had a cuff put on that had a mini computer, and every 20 minutes for 24 hours, the cuff would inflate and automatically record the blood pressure. So we were getting a round-the-clock measurement, and this verified the FDA's concern about celebrex about non-steroidals. The other two groups in our study, one group got just our calcium channel blocker, amlodipine. And what we found, not surprisingly, is it's a very good drug for lowering blood pressure. It lowered blood pressure almost nine millimeters when we were looking at the systolic blood pressure during the daytime. But the big surprise was when we added Celebrex to the amlodipine, whereas almost everybody predicted we would have lost some of this efficacy, we would have lost some of the effectiveness, quite the contrary, there was a synergy. That is, it went the Opposite way. It improved, it enhanced the blood pressure reduction. Instead of getting a nearly 9 millimeter reduction, when we added Celebrex, we got a nearly 11 millimeter reduction in daytime systolic blood pressure. The effects were even more dramatic with daytime diastolic and with nighttime systolic and diastolic. So, for reasons we have not yet discerned, although Celebrex alone raises blood pressure, when it's added to amlodipine, it does the opposite. It enhances the blood pressure-reducing effect of amlodipine. This was obviously a most pleasant surprise to us. It emphasizes that this is going to be a very safe combination, unlike the danger of combining a diuretic, an ACE inhibitor, or an angiotensin receptor blocker with a nonsteroidal.
0: Does the use of the combination therapy pose any kind of a problem for people already using blood pressure medications?
1: Well, this will be an individual decision for the patient's doctor. Uh, He or she will see how the patient is doing. If they are doing well on a blood pressure-reducing drug and a non-steroidal, they will probably keep the patient on it. However, if they are not doing well or... If the patient has been on one blood pressure reducing drug, say a diuretic, but now the doctor has determined that the patient needs a non-steroidal, then the physician, she or he is faced with the fact that the FDA has said the data, the data indicate if you combine a non-steroidal and a diuretic, you lose the diuretic's effect of lowering blood pressure, you risk problems with the kidney, So in that circumstance, I think physicians will have to strongly consider switching over to a combination such as ours.
0: Your team has a, a fair bit of depth in terms of FDA experience. In fact, your regulatory prowess is a key part of your business strategy. As companies think about ways to accelerate the drug development process, I think regulatory strategies tend to focus on exploiting mechanisms for accelerated approval processes and things like that. Can you walk us through how you've leveraged your FDA experience? What's the clinical development and approval path for your drugs and, and what are the implications in terms of time and cost?
1: As you mentioned, <clears throat> Ketoff was begun by ex-FDA people. I'm an ex-FDA physician. Our pharmacologist, that's the person who does the animal work, he worked at the FDA for a number of years. Our chemists work at the FDA for a number of years. So our team was entirely consisting of people who had FDA experience, who understood how the FDA worked. I know there were a lot of reports that the FDA is anti, is uh, against drugs, against drug companies. <clears throat> That's not the case. The FDA is against bad drugs, but the FDA realized they're all going to get sick one day. They, their families, they want good drugs on the market. So I think the critical thing a lot of people forget is The FDA wants to work with you, and that's what we did. We, When we met with them, we respected what they knew. We worked with them to develop a plan. Um, We had a combination drug of a non-steroidal and a cardiovascular drug. We recognized that really the critical part of our development was not the non-steroidal component. We knew it was going to prevent pain, treat pain. That was a given. We knew that it would by itself raised blood pressure. That was a given. The question was the cardiovascular component, the blood pressure drug. So we did something no one else had. We said, we're not going to have our drug in the anesthesia analgesia division. We're going to attempt to put it in the cardiovascular division where the expertise with heart and kidney drugs resides. So we took some time and we worked with the FDA and together there be came an understanding that, yes, your combination belongs in the cardiovascular division, and we have worked with them to get what is, yes, it's a very short path to market. We were only required to do two clinical trials. We had to do what is essentially a generic drug development process. If your audience is aware, to get a generic drug to market, you don't do animal studies. You do the same chemistry as the innovator. And then you do one, what's called a phase one bioequivalent study, which shows that the blood level with your drug is the same as the innovator, since it's the same chemical. We had to do that for our combination, showing that our Celebrex component and our Amlodipine blood pressure component got the same blood levels as which you could buy now off the shelf. But then the cardiovascular division said, and then we want to see what exactly does this combination do to blood pressure And we only need 150 patients for two weeks. We know that blood pressure drugs, after a couple of weeks, you've got the full effect. Beyond that, it's not necessary. So with a number of meetings with the FDA, we designed this phase three study, which was only 150 patients for two weeks. We got our endpoint set up, uh, got agreement through what's called the special protocol assessment, and we went forward and did this study. And so we are now looking at the fourth quarter of this year, 2016, submitting our new drug application for our combination drug product.
0: Now, how did that compare to, say, going through the analgesic division?
1: Uh, well, classically, the anesthesia analgesia division has desired uh, a more standard NDA with dozens of studies involving thousands of patients treated for up to a year, so it would have been a far more expensive and prolonged process if we had been in that division.
0: Yeah, I think of Horizon Pharmaceuticals and its drug Duexis, which combined ibuprofen with the ulcer medication, Famotidine. Did you learn anything from their experience with the FDA?
1: Well, uh, their drug, Vimovo, it, it is it is a drug which was trying to treat one of the two problems that occur with non-steroidals. I mentioned before that non cause two life-threatening problems. One is the cardiovascular, the other is the gastrointestinal ulcer. Now, Celebrex doesn't have that because it's a COX-2, but Horizons Vomovo is not a COX-2, it's naproxen, and thus it has that problem. So they said, let's eliminate that problem by adding an ulcer drug to the naproxen. They did that, they went to the anesthesia analgesia division. It took them a number of years. It took thousands of patients. These people were treated for up to a year. Um, I believe the cost for this development was over $100 million. Eventually, they were approved, and it's a successful drug now. Uh, It's being marketed by Horizon. It was developed by Posen, but it's marketed by Horizon. And I believe last year in the U.S., their sales were over $200 million. But it was still a very long, uh, many-year, mini-trial Development program as opposed to our short, quick, relatively inexpensive development program.
0: What's the plan going forward? Are you seeking a partner to market the drug?
1: Yes, we are. As you mentioned, our expertise is our regulatory. Uh, we are all, all of our scientific people have worked with FDA, and so we have that expertise. We don't have a marketing expertise. Uh, having successfully completed the clinical development, we are now looking to license this to someone who can then sell the drug in the US and outside the US. And what our plan is to do next is to use our regulatory expertise to identify a new drug or drugs to take to market. I mentioned we were all ex-FDA people. Before we formed Ketoff, we were we had a consulting group that helped start up biotechs and universities develop drugs. We still get phone calls from these people, and we are now uh, looking to identify another drug where we, with our regulatory expertise, can identify a shorter path, a cheaper path to market, so that we can move on to another drug. That, that's our plan because we freely admit marketing is not our expertise, it's regulatory.
0: What's the pipeline behind this? Is the strategy to do similar combinations, or is it more focused on? leveraging your regulatory expertise to cut cost and time to market?
1: It's, it's focused on regulatory expertise. We, as a group, have developed everything from cancer drugs to counterterrorism drugs uh, to cardiovascular drugs. The process is, is really all the same for all these, uh, more so than it's different. Uh, So we are looking wherever we can identify something where we can add significant value because of our regulatory expertise. We have a number of things. We're in the early stages of identifying right now. We have not made a firm commitment to any of them, but we expect this year to identify one or two new drugs to go forward with. And because of our successful uh, U.S. IPO last year, we have plenty of cash in the bank that we will be able to fund the initial development of whatever we identify.
0: Paul Lamek, co-founder, chairman, and chief medical officer of Keto Pharmaceuticals. Paul, thanks so much for your time today.
1: It was a great pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week,